0: This week on Dig Me Out.
1: Come to Christ now. Here yeah, I've been waiting for this.
0: Warm Christ now. I found some encouragement. This precious preparation. This is yours, and mine. With your hosts, Jason Zia and Tim Minichi,
2: Jay, we're back again with another episode thanks to our Dig Me Out Union on Patreon. You can help us make the next episode happen by joining us at dmounion.com or digmeoutunion.com. And Jay, as often happens here, we have a member of the Dig Me Out Union joining us for this episode you know him. He's been here. Welcome, Dewey Cole. Everybody knows you. You're you're one of our regulars every year. Yes, yes. I've done this. I don't know how
1: many times now. Five, I think. I four to five.
2: You get you get like you get the yeah. Tom Tom Hanks. Uh, you know, uh, you're getting the jacket on uh <laughs> on Saturday <laughs> Live or whatever the the Five Timers Club. That's true. And then I think Stephen Mazinski invited
1: me on for one too, which was really sweet. So. I was that the uh,
2: was that the local H one or did you pick that? Yeah, one?
1: no, that was the local H one. Him and I planned that one, so it right. worked out that way.
2: So let's let's yeah. real quick let's recap: Violetine, small speaker, Joy Ride was your pick back in twenty seventeen.
1: Oh God, what a record!
2: Not I a surf's the proximity effect in twenty eighteen, and then you also joined us for pack up the cats. That was Stephen Musinski's pick in 2018. Uh, 2019, Villains by the by the Verve pipe. And then last year was the self-titled album by Dig, in which uh, we were actually joined by a member of Dig uh, for that episode, I believe. Was that Scott and and that, Network?
1: I yeah, if, and they've been they've been putting out
2: some new songs in yes. the past
1: year since that episode, which has been really exciting. I'd like
2: to think we spurred them on. We, I think so. We uh, gave them some motivation. Said, did hey, you see?
1: Did you see that within a couple years of Alatine episode, they released that unheard album from nineteen ninety nine? I did. Yeah. I, I, I call me crazy, but I think this <laughs> podcast had a lot to do with that. And I, I know that that's nuts, but they were retweeting and reposting the podcast link. And I think it kind of got them thinking about that again, because there was nothing going on with that band. And they started playing a couple, I want to say they played a few gigs. They opened, they opened for someone in like that's that spring after the podcast aired. So not sure if hundred percent, if we had to do with that, but I think we may have had something to do with
2: I, it. I think we did. It's called the yeah. dig me out effect. uh yes. We reunite <laughs> bands. We get them back out on tour. Yes, yes exactly. Uh, we we get unreleased recordings out there. We get new recordings. It's just it just happens. Um,
1: and Scott was already recording new dig stuff, so we can't take credit for that. Unfortunately, that's what he but says. Be cool. But, if we could
2: right. Uh, <laughs> So what is your addition to the collection of albums that you have brought to this podcast? What's the newest album that everyone is going to learn about from Dewey Cole's collection?
1: Well, I decided to pick a high school fave of mine, um, Collective Soul, and uh, I decided not to pick their big one because everybody knows that one, their second record, which was their self-titled Blue Album. Um, First record, honestly, is kind of... Had the big single shine, but for the most part, that record is a bunch of demos, and I don't I don't view it as one of their best. So I picked their third record, Discipline Breakdown. Came out in 1997. Um, it was recorded under very they were they were under a lot of um, issues with their management at the time. Mm-hmm. Actually, literally had no funding from their from their management or their label. So they were actually recording it, self-producing it, literally in a cabin outside of Stockbridge, Georgia. And uh, I found the material to be really different from their first two records. Um, so, yeah, I decided it'd be interesting to talk about this one. And it's not one that a lot of people point at when they talk about Collective Soul. Usually people point at the second record or their fourth record dosage. So I thought it'd be fun to talk about.
2: Yeah, they got into a, um, a, a TIFF with their ex-manager, Bill Richardson, and... Um... They had to. They had to go to court. They got their tour dates canceled. Like it was a big, yeah, uh, roadblock for them around this. What you think about it? I mean, they're hot off the heels of a huge record, and then they get this thrown at them. Yeah, uh, they had like what five singles on that record. I mean, it was yes. crazy.
1: They were all over the radio in nineteen ninety five, ninety six.
2: Now, discipline breakdown. It did actually then uh, score. It did well um, in the United States. They made it number 16 on the Billboard 200. Two singles went to number one on the U.S. US Mainstream uh, Rock Tracks uh, chart. uh, Precious Precious Declaration and Listen both went to number one. They also charted on the Modern Rocks track uh, chart and the Billboard Hot 100. Um, And then Blame also charted for uh, the U.S. Mainstream Rock track at number 11. So that's three top 25 singles off this self-produced album recorded in a a cabin. Uh, Not too shabby for the band. Yeah. Especially when it was
1: self-produced considering these guys were still relative. Well, not Ed, but the rest of the band was relatively young at that time. I I think Ed is uh, uh, seven or eight years older than the rest of the guys at that time, but to be done completely by the band funding it themselves in a cabin And then the material that came out of it, I mean, the lyrics on this record are just, oh man, they're just so deep. And so they just kind of cut through. I mean, talking about, I think the word um, comfort is used quite a bit on this album. Uh, There's a lot of just the lyrics are, in my opinion, it's some of the best lyrics of of their entire discography is on this record. Um, The song forgiveness is a great example and it all kind of relates to the management at the time, what, what he did, he kind of stabbed him in the back and, and uh, going to use a bad word, fucked them over uh, for a long period of time, and cut them out of there. They had to live with their parents. They had to, the Rollins had to move in with their parents. I was reading during this
2: time. That's how bad it got. Yeah, I mean, uh, yes. a little bit of background for those who are not familiar. History
0: of the band.
2: The band is formed in Stockbridge, Georgia. Ed Rollins, who uh, people or Ed Roland, sorry, not Ed Rollins. Ed Roland. Uh, was a graduate of the Berklee College of Music in Boston, and he had been in bands in the un- Atlanta underground scene in the eighties and early nineties. Uh, one of the bands was called Ed E, like E D dash E. He was in uh, another band, uh, Marching Two Step. Uh, that gigged for a couple years, and as as has been mentioned, is is the lore. He recorded a demo. He, would, he was working at a recording studio, and uh, recorded a demo. It got some play on a radio station, WRAS, and um, which was a student station in Atlanta. Shine got played. It got the listeners liked it. It got pick, picked up in Florida, and so this single started getting played without a band or really a record to back it up or a record label or anything. Atlanta picked it up or Atlantic picked it up and re-released it as the album that we know is hints, allegations and things left unsaid. So really the self-titled record is their like debut album as a band. Correct. Um, which features uh, for that iteration, it was Ed Ross Childress on um, lead guitar, Dean, his brother on rhythm guitar, Will Turpin on bass and Shane Evans on drums. That lineup would last up until the, f- just after the fifth record and then Ross Childress would leave. And that's when they put out their greatest hits for their first five records. I think it was the end of their deal
1: too, with Atlantic at that to so kind of put a bow on that with Atlantic records. Cause I think youth is under a different label. If I remember, I'd have to go and look, but
2: I, I think you're right. But I th- yeah. you know, what's amazing is that, Of those first five records, all of them went gold, at least gold. Some of them, you know, you had triple platinum for the self-titled, double platinum for the debut. Um, And then in terms of singles, they had charting singles all the way through Blender. Um, They were not a band that like died off and disappeared in the way that like, you know, say a sponge did after their second album or seven mary three i mean this this was a band more akin to i think in terms of um hits like a band like the goo goo dolls where they just they kept stay stayed around and they actually still are around they had a album out in 2019 and i think they had um an ep out last year yeah called half and a half
1: yeah, they definitely have not really slowed down. Considering they've lost a couple pieces of their band, um, they've kept they've kept going, and and they have a core fan base that loves them to death, and and will continue to see them and buy their records. So,
2: so when they did leave Atlantic, um, Ed started his own record label called the Elm Music Group, and it's probably got major distribution through someone. But they released uh, the next two records, Youth and Afterwards, on that label, and then. Um, the next three records have been on different labels. Uh, the self-titled, which was referred to as the Rabbit record, came out on Loud and Proud in two thousand nine. See, was started by continuing, came out on Vanguard in twenty fifteen, and Blood came out on Fuzz Flex Records. I don't know what Fuzz Flex Records is.
1: <laughs> might just be themselves. Who knows?
2: He, he might just change the name each time just to have fun. Yeah, I don't know. Um, and so, I
1: guess they have two or three more records recorded in the can ready to go, too. So, since they've been home doing no touring, they just uh recorded, yeah. Some stuff. Well, they 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 recorded Blood. They when they recorded Blood, they had a set they recorded it as a double record and uh, they were talked into splitting them up instead of doing it as a double record. Didn't you gotcha. guys just do an
2: episode on double double albums? We did. It just came yeah. out uh, the day we were recording this.
1: Reminder to go listen to that. If you haven't listened to that there you yet, go. go ahead and check it out. But I haven't listened to it yet, so that's my reminder. But um, yeah, but they recorded the last record as a double, and then they were essentially talked into splitting it up. And then COVID hit, so they still have that album. And then they recorded another record or two since COVID, so they have tons of new material. But, you know, at least they were doing something during they're COVID. They weren't busy. sitting around.
2: Yes. Now, Jay, did you buy this record when it came out?
0: I had the second album and Dosage. I don't know that I had this one.
2: Oh, okay. Um. So I remember you stayed on the um, on the Collective Soul train, Soul Train, <laughs> as opposed to when we heard uh, the Dolphin Cry for live, we immediately stopped buying their records.
0: Yeah, I remember Dosage there being some stuff on that that was I thought at the time was pretty good. I've that has a single a Heavy, right? Yes, that was the first well, that one and run were kind of released
1: around the same time, but yeah, that was those were the two songs off dosage.:
0: And this okay. was a, I mean pretty remarkable that not only did they continue, but really from the first album through at least my memory serves, uh, serves that dosage, they had songs on the radio continuously, like, yeah, either hits or heavy rotation songs, four albums in a row for the nineties is pretty rare for a new band to pop up and be that persistent on the radio.
1: Plus they were on Letterman and Leno. It seemed like all the time back then. Yep. And it seems like with every visit that they were on, cause I used to love watching those Letterman would say, well, this band has sold 20 million albums. And I was like, what the hell? Seriously? 20 million albums by now? Like what? It just kind of blew me away how many records they were selling. And it's just the power of radio play just essentially kept them going with all their
0: singles. So get to bring it back you're saying around this album which is their third and probably their most successful time they're living with their parents
1: yeah, yeah. which is funny because they were they were um <laughs> they, they they started to tour a lot obviously on the second record with the huge success that those singles had yep. um i mean you still hear those songs today you know gel and world i know and um yep. oh yeah but um they were opening for like Aerosmith and Van Halen and then they come home
2: and they're essentially having to live with their parents because they have no money.
1: I was just just going to mention that Yeah,
2: they they opened for Van Halen on the balance tour and then they have to go home and (laughs) with their parents. Oh my God. That's just, it's nuts
1: to think about that. Especially when you turn on your radio and you're on the radio at the same
0: time. Yep. Yep. It's a story that's way too common in music. Just, yeah people taking advantage of artists. And so keep that in mind when you can, when you see what artists make from Spotify and you get angry at Spotify, there's a lot of people in the middle taking the money and they're a good example of that. Probably had no idea I'll work in their asses off and they come home and they have nothing. Yeah. It's, it's pretty crazy.
1: And I, I did a, I did some old research, like looking through old articles from, from the late nineties uh, around the same time period, because I, I knew I, I kind of knew the idea of what happened, but I didn't know the details. Uh, I didn't know the manager's name. I didn't know how long. It was nine months that they were without any type of funding uh, from their label. They had no pay. And they actually were promoting a show at the Newport Music Hall in 1998. And <laughs> there's, I think the Lantern did the interview. Do you remember the, remember the
2: Lantern? Is Lantern yeah. still around? It's digitally, I, I believe it's still around. Yeah. Is it? Yeah. But there was an
1: interview with Ed Roland from 98 where he talked about this record and he talked about how lyrically it's essentially about what went on. He wouldn't comment on the lawsuit because it had ended by then, but how the majority of, of these songs were written when the band was literally just down and out and they wanted to be able to, to break out and be able to do their thing. And that's kind of how this record was made. So, um, and yeah, they, they were playing Newport musical,
2: sold it out in 1998. Unfortunately I didn't get to go to that one, but it looked like it was a good show. Let's get into some comments from our Patreon page. Some folks chimed in with their thoughts. We'll share the, res- the poll results, uh, of where the album better EP decent single at the end of the episode, but uh, some comments on this. Willie Dylan said, while this may not be Collective Soul's best album, it is fairly solid. And yes, Collective Soul is very much on the easily accessible side of the alt rock spectrum, but I enjoy them. Ross Childress isn't going to blow the world away, but he has some interesting guitar lines and there's even some solid bass playing here from Will Turpin. Discipline Breakdown is a good example. The sustained guitar in Forgiveness sounds tasty in particular. I could leave off a few tracks. Maybe, for example, but it's a worthy album for me. Uh, Nate Smith said, This was the last full-priced collective soul purchase I made from the band after liking some of the material from their first two records. I mean, in the mid-'90s, you'd hear a collective soul song about every 10 songs on any given alternative station. (laughs) Something about Ed Rollins' voice just didn't make it past 1997 for me. The album wasn't super memorable for me, but these songs still hold up pretty is a pretty solid effort. I'm going better ET and ha- better EP and having the record or having the record to six tracks. Precious Declaration, listen, maybe. Discipline breakdown, forgiveness, and link. On the flip side, Ian McCarry said, I'm sorry, but Collective Soul has never clicked for me. I never really understood the appeal. Yes, they had songs on the radio, but none of my friends listened to them in university. So they were just there. Even going through the album, I hear the singles that tickle my memory going back to 1997, but the rest just seems like filler to me. Maybe it's because of the music that I listen to and Collective Soul just doesn't do it. I fully expect others to have the same reaction about the band I like and I don't hold them against them. I'm looking forward to the episode. It may shed some light on the band to help me gain an understanding of Collective Soul. (laughs) My rating, pirated download, wouldn't even use money on the single. Also means I didn't vote, so I don't skew the results.
1: Oh, that was nice.
2: Uh, Gary Kalmek says, Collective Soul were one of those bands that I never really went out of my way for, but I always enjoyed their stuff. I heard them... I heard by... The stuff I heard by them until... The album after this one, they always seemed like a safe band who wrote good radio-friendly songs and never tried to do anything outside those lines. Kyle Bittner said, I like Collective Soul, but I don't like Collective Soul. <laughs> Conflicted. <laughs> to me, they're a singles band, and this album is no different. Going back, I just realized how many singles the second album had compared to the rest. This was a band that definitely gave the middle finger to the sophomore slump. I digress, though. This album is just like the others, a better EP. To which Keith Badge responded, theres they're the definition of a greatest hits band. Put together a playlist of Shine, Breathe, the bazillion song singles off the Blue album, Precious Declaration, the bazillion singles off a dosage, Why Part 2, and you have an amazing album. In the Battle of Eds, Rollin beats Kowalchuk, hands down. Well, yeah. Uh, Adam Rogan said I never cared for them in the 90s but now I really enjoy their hits when I hear them I never listened to a full album I've never listened to a full album until now I vote better EP along with the first two track maybe as a standout just an overall pleasant song Darren Lehman I'm a collective soul fan but they've never been an album band to me I can't say I've ever liked one of theirs start to finish over their other than seven year itch which is a retrospective great live band though uh, Richard Waterman said, great opener to the album in Precious Declaration. Nice use of acoustic guitar line and Listen. Nice percussion, too. Maybe has some great edge-style guitar. What will Tim and Jay think of the horns and clavinet in full circle? The start, build-up, and count in at the start of Blame is awesome. Discipline Breakdown is the rockiest song, but fell, falls a little bit flat. Forgiveness is a cool ballad. Type Ed's vocals on this track are great. Link and giving our meandering in between reminds me of forgiveness. It has some cool guitar lines though. Crowded head is weird. Reminds me of Queen, a tiny bit. The album is not as heavy as the full debut, and lacks the heavy guitars that I would want. It was recorded in a cabin, so they would peak on their next album. Dosage, where the album? Hmm. It's all over the place with that. I didn't know where he was going.
1: That's a long. That's a long comment.
2: Uh, I, yeah we may have to put in a, a restriction. Jake, can you cut it to 280 characters so that uh, <laughs> these are like tweets
1: It's funny everybody's been bringing up the song maybe and that's one of my favorites on the record and one person said he didn't like it. that kind of hurt me a little bit. There's, I was like, oh man, I love that song
2: it could you go, you go all it's all over the place. yeah uh, Darren Lee said, uh collective Soul, one of those bands that moonlighted as an alt rock band on their first two albums they rode that alt rock wave even though they were not one but they sold a lot of records their second album has some worthy singles gel still sounds great today with that cool guitar tone but the rest of the album falls flat same with this album forever is a greatest hits band forever a greatest hits band in my eyes on a side note what the hell were they thinking with the cover artwork to the blender album makes me look makes them look like a boy band
1: Oh yeah, that whole period they looked really bad. So that was embarrassing. I don't know what the hell was going on. I'm not sure either. Haircuts and the and the the shiny flashy clothes and the yeah, it was just really really weird.
2: I, I, I don't know. We'll have to maybe we can get Ed on and he can explain what the what they were thinking. Uh what what's find out what Jay's thinking? Jay, tell me one thing you liked about Disciplined Breakdown by Collective Soul.
0: I uh, can relate to a lot of the comments there. Um, I am, uh, this is the kind of band where, yeah, I don't go out of my way to listen to it, to them, but when they, I heard them at least at the time. And now as I'm hearing them again, I, I end up liking it. Um, the other thing that is a bit of a conflict for me is I love and hate the production of their records. And, <laughs> um, which is, I think, is really interesting. That the the original, the first record is a demo, and it sounds demo-ish. Like it has that very dry drum machine sound, and the guitars are kind of tinny. Um, There's like a subsonic bass, and all that is is kind of carried through here, just with higher fidelity. Um, so it's really interesting to go back and just. Kind of dissect what is the sound of this band because it is it is pretty unique. Um, so the drum wise on here, it I don't know if this is all a drum machine or a mix of drum machine and performance, but the the dynamics of the drums are very um, identifiable. It's meaning like he never hits the cymbals super hard. You know he ne- it actually doesn't it doesn't sound like he ever really changes the dynamics of playing the drums, which is very like. Drum machine, like it's um, kind of mechanical and dry sounding, which just sonically creates this really different um, dynamic. Where then the uh, the guitars need to do a ton of work um, to create, you know, the soundscapes. So, what ended up working about that for me is in that you get this, you're you're able to uh, really focus in on that lead guitar and understand like how good the parts are and also how big of a role they're playing in some of these songs. So I was really, I think, impressed by one, just, you know, sonically, I think they have a sound, um, that's unique and different, but then, um, I kind of, I never really had paid attention that much to the, the lead guitar playing. And I think it's, it's pretty, um, remarkable on the record I think there's some really cool parts I think it does a great job um in a lot of cases um either they'd be doing something really interesting melodically and playing off the vocal but in, uh, some of the other songs it's um it's kind of like uh, fuzzed out and droning in the background um and it really helps pull you know some of the parts of the songs together and just create this bed that makes everything co- cohesive So I was really impressed by the guitar playing. I I didn't expect it to be as good as it is. And I think, again, going back to the sound of it, it's interesting in that it's also a very small, like that leaked sound is like almost like a mini amp or it is not a big, like crushing guitar tone. It is a tiny little sound, but somehow it it comes together and it works sonically. Um, It's still, as a band sounds, you know, full, sounds way better than the first record, but like still sounds like, it's a collective soul even though it's seemingly a whole you know different people performing which is also interesting to me that he was able to kind of like capture what the sound of the band was and then continue that recording in the cabin probably helped um, honestly keep that together never ever can decipher who listens to the
1: words I say while I sit, I'm searching and never know who's looking to scare my sacred thoughts away. When well, I love to hang and chatter while but my
0: mind's become vile. It seems I. I think the last thing is you definitely hear some really high level skill when it comes to songwriting. You know, there's a couple songs in here that have stereotypical like 90s riffs, but they do a really good job not beating you over the head with them. You know, they they'll like Precious Declaration is a good example. You know, it has a prominent guitar riff early, but you know, they move out of it and they move on to somewhere else. And you get to a pre-chorus that is a little dreamier, you know, and a chorus it's super hooky. And then they bring the riff back in briefly to, to give it some oomph, but it's not, I could see these songs in the hands of maybe a, a less mature band. Some of these riffs would, they would just pound you, pound them into the ground and, and just keep playing them and like build, like never vary the song up. Um, But you can tell that, you know, there's quite a bit of skill and experience here and they know not to do that Uh, and they keep the song moving and they come back to the, you know, to the riff or um, a cool guitar hook or something for emphasis and and to, you know, create some dynamic and give it some energy, but they have more to, they can do more and have more to say than just, just the riffs. So I really appreciated that too, because some of these were, you know, they would start off and. I would think, okay, that's kind of a cool riff, but I'm going to get sick of this. And right at the point where I was kind of about to say, like, okay, yeah, change it up, they would have already changed it up. So I felt like they were really um, showing a lot. I mean, itself, you know, itself sounds like it's self-produced. It's some of these songs are, you know, pushing five minutes, but it felt pretty focused and sharp from a songwriting standpoint um which i think helps them quite a bit. So yeah, interesting sound, some really cool guitar parts um from the from the lead guitarist and i think some pretty solid songwriting. What about you, Tim?
2: I agree with everything you said. I'm I'm glad you pinpointed the guitar tone because i was trying to figure out like what makes it interesting and especially with the like on precious declaration when that starts out, you get that it's a really, really definitive, you know, uh, uh, a, a clear tone with a nice amount of grit on it, but it's not a big like riff. Like that could have easily been turned into like yes. a drop D riff by another right. band. And it would just sound like mud. Yeah. Um, it's funny, you know, people were talking about, they, they're really, this is like a singles band, um, in a, in a weird way. <laughs> This is going to sound crazy, but this is like Collective Soul is like the Def Leppard of the 90s for me mm. in that they write really, really great singles. And I don't know that I ever need to listen to an album like <laughs> all I need is the greatest hits because, damn, those are really good songs. So it was interesting because I'll be honest, I don't know that I've ever listened to a full Def Leppard album. Um I might whoa, whoa, have, whoa? I'm maybe once or twice. I've gone come on
0: crazy. Pyromania. Get on. Wow.
2: Everybody's heard Pyromania. Maybe, yeah. Okay. Maybe Pyromania. That might be, but I don't think I've listened to what, what's the first record um, on
1: through the night. Is that the first record? Yeah.
2: yeah I don't think I've yeah. ever listened to that all the way through high and dry. Those are, yeah. High and dry oh. is a classic. I don't know if I, but this I've, doesn't I've probably Pyromania, probably <laughs> Adrenalize is probably the other oh, one. I've heard.
0: Oh no. Oh no. Let's get, you rocked. can stop after, well, Pyromania is a must. And then uh, what's the one after that? The big one. Uh hysteria. Hysteria is yeah. Oh yeah. Probably with
2: hysteria. Okay. Probably
0: with a listen, but it starts to go downhill after that. I
2: right. actually like
1: slang, which would be a, maybe my idea for next year. But anyway, getting back Ooh. to Collective Soul. I do Ooh.
2: love slang. <laughs> yeah. so I, I so okay, I've listened to Pyromania and I've listened to um the other one. And uh which I just immediately forgot. Uh Cause that's how I am with Def Leppard. Like, if a Def Leppard comes on this comes on the radio when I'm driving, I absolutely yeah. would turn that up. If Gel comes on the radio, bo- uh, turn that up. I love yeah. that song. Um, I probably own the first two records because I picked them up for like a buck at half price books, but I didn't buy them back in the '90s because the songs were on every ten minutes. Like people said, like yeah. there was always a Collective Soul song on. Uh, whatever the toledo radio station 105.7 the end or whatever it was
1: 106.5 the buzz
2: there you go uh i was it was always on um even now i mean the world i know gets probably played on 99.7 the blitz here in columbus once a week or or uh or december you know i mean those songs have just not gone away um so listening to this because i was never like in love with the band enough to buy the record, but then didn't, I didn't dislike them. Um, it was interesting to hear, like you mentioned, Jade, like Ed Roland has a songwriting talent. Like he knows how to craft a song, craft a melody. Every one of these songs has a hook. Um, he's not writing anything that you would go, well, that feels underdeveloped or whatnot. I mean, each of these songs, has its own purpose and has its own through line. Um, and that's hard to do. Uh, I, I There aren't a lot of guys or, or, or songwriters, I should say, in the 90s who continued at this pace of just writing really solid mainstream rock songs. Um, you know, maybe Johnny Resnick was the other guy in the 90s who was writing like songs that were alternative only because that was called alternative at the time, but really just writing like mainstream radio rock songs. Yeah. Um, there, you know, some of those bands tried and then they just collapsed. They, they got, they collapsed under their own weight. Um, So hearing this was interesting. Um, I didn't, I didn't actively seek the record out, like I said. So when I heard it, so much of it sounded familiar, even though I never listened to it, just because, I think I've I'm tuned into the Ed Rolland voice and the Ed Rolland production style that you know uh, a, a guitar up front with a riff having um, not a lot of uh, fuzz on it but enough distortion to make it distinct. His his vocal style is is pretty. I it's weird. He is somehow singing high and low at the same time. <laughs> You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he's got this whisper part. Yeah. That part. Yep. But then it's also deep. Yeah. At the same point. I don't know. I don't know how he does that exactly. It's weird.
1: There's a lot well, of Ed. There's a lot of Ed harmonizing on this record. Like you can tell that he really focused on the vocals on some of these songs. Oh, yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Especially in the, when he hit the chorus. Every chorus is doubled. Mm. He, he's layering the vocals. But it's it's interesting Just his tone is, uh, you can't really compare him to anybody. I don't think he sounds like anybody else from the 90s. Not that it's like crazy wild or anything. I mean, this isn't like Maynard or, you know, where you you hear him and you're like, what is that guy doing? it's just, he has a a distinct vocal. But I really think that Ross Childress is the secret weapon. Um, Whether it's playing those distorted riffs, whether he's, what's the one song is it link It has this like really chorused out lead guitar thing going on this strummy thing and then ed rollins Roland is like roland is like uh I, he's he's like channeling um i don't know if it's like steely dan with that high falsetto voice mm-hmm. or, yeah. or what he's doing at the, in that when that song starts it's really different and he and he changes it up i mean once it's not the whole song that's like that it's just like the once the song like gets out of that like stuttering rhythm it comes back into like yeah. more of a straight ahead but it's a really cool part it's unlike anything else on the record which i appreciate that, that there's some change-ups here and there that are are unexpected. But that one just like caught my ear. Yeah. Uh, and it was because of Ross Childress's guitar, which um like it's I said, got
0: I, uh, multi-track Ebo parts.
2: Yeah. It's yeah. like it's weird stuff happening. And then you know, he gets to like on like Crowded Head, which I don't know, I get the queen comparison on that. I mean it's just sort of a just a hard rock mid-tempo riff, but then he gets to shred. A little bit with those like little riffs in between sections yeah it's just a nice count you know comparison you know he, he can kind of cover a lot of ground as the uh as the lead guitar and i, I can't imagine ed rowling gets credited with guitar i'm is he, i'm guessing he's pretty much up there strumming an acoustic most of the time as most in a five-piece band that's usually what the the, the guy who's playing you know that's the eddie vetter move the the Gord downey move is you just stand up there with an the acoustic guitar and I don't know. And I think Dean Rowland is more of a rhythm player than, uh, than Ross Childress. So yeah, that was, it was, I don't want to say it was revelation to hear this as a full band because it still sounded like collective soul, but it was just interesting to hear the way different places. They took some of the songs and, and hear how solid the record was all the way through for the most part. so you you mentioned that maybe is one of your favorite tracks on the on the album dewey what what works for you in maybe and then also in the record as a whole
1: well i mean the reason i liked it so much and i loved it when it first came out um i mean i bought this day one Uh, i was a pretty big fan at the time and I remember buying it and listening to it the first time and thinking, well, this is different. Like, this isn't Smashing Young Man. This isn't Where the River Flows. This isn't Gel. You know, this is just really different. And it definitely took me a handful of listens to really appreciate it. I mean, I'll be honest, the first day I was kind of let down a little bit because I was I was hoping for some, like, big riffs, you know? And uh, I really didn't... There, there wasn't anything comparable to the second record like that. But once you kind of get into it and you play it a few times, the songs just get into you. I mean, maybe... Just like Jay mentioned, the Ebo that's used on that song is just, it's just, it sounds amazing. It pretty much plays it through the whole song, if I remember correctly. I mean, its it just adds so much. And um, ironically enough, Discipline Break- Breakdown, uh, which is in the middle of the record, uh, was my favorite song when I was 16 when I bought this record. And it's probably my least favorite now. I just feel like it... I don't know. It's just almost like that's probably the heaviest song on the record, but it almost feels like it doesn't really, it just doesn't do much for me anymore as a 40 year old compared to when I was 16. Um, I don't know. I just feel like that song kind of, kind of loses me. But as far as the, the other stuff, like Link, for instance, if that's the song that you were referring earlier. Yeah. Um, yeah. The vocals on that, the chorus just jumps out. Um, the guitar playing sounds so great. Ross is just, he was, he was, definitely the gem of that band uh during their first five records Uh, when i when i would go see them play i would always make sure to get a ticket in front of him because he had that hanging ebo on his mic stand and he would just shred tear into solos play his parts he was just so much fun to watch and um he just shines on this record i think he does a great job all the way through it um and i also want to mention the song listen which was the second single yes um which we haven't really touched on yet um, I think that's just as great as Precious Decoration. And the band isn't played as like if you go see them now in 2021, which they're touring right now, they really only play Listen maybe once every three to four tours. It seems like they don't really give that song the same love that they give Precious Decoration. And I love Listen. I I I think the world of that song. And and they a lot of people love to say that, oh, they're a singles band or they're a greatest hits band or whatever. And I I just and I'm not going to deny the, the power of their singles. They had great singles, but like I said, maybe is an incredible tune on here. The song blame, which was the third single might be one of their best songs on their entire catalog. I, I just love that song to death. Um, forgiveness is an incredible tune. Link is a great tune, uh, crowded head. I don't really get the queen reference. I mean, maybe if I, if I listen to it a little bit more and maybe listen to a queen song and for comparison, maybe I would get that, but, um, that's one that I wish they would I would be able to see live. I just think that song's great too. Love your sadness is crowded out my head.
0: Love your madness is crowded out my head.
1: Above the stars. Plus, I, I know that Jay mentioned the, uh, it sounds kind of, what did you say? I think you mentioned it was, it was lo-fi, but hi-fi. What was the, I'm trying to remember the term that you
0: used. Uh, it sounds hi-fi for. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's very dry. Yeah. It's, maybe it's not roomy. Term. You know, it sounds like, um. Uh, direct the board a lot of it like not mics in a room but like yeah i love like machines though. and guitars th- plugged straight in yeah i think it gives a record character i think it, I, I mean it's really unique when you
1: look at their catalog as far as when you look at their discography and you look at all their albums to me this is the one that jumps out the most i know you guys haven't heard all their albums but this is still a favorite of mine when i go back and i love dosage to death their fourth record i can't say enough about dosage but i thought this would be a little bit more fun to talk about
2: personally i think listen is my favorite song on the i mean that is just like a classic single like such a good hook um everything about that song is is interesting to me from a from just being like a perfect radio single and i think yeah. i think maybe Elaine like, Blaine, those other two songs that you mentioned are also like up there with being you know <laughs> the first five tr- tracks are very very strong. And those I would, would be hit singles for another band, like their first single. You know what I mean? Like, even though those are, you know, blame might be an album track, or 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 excuse, maybe. I think you mentioned blame that was that was a single, but like that could have easily been a single for another band. Yeah, easily. It's interesting I, that this came out in '97, though, because I'm still kind of amazed. We talked about earlier, and Jay brought it up like this band stayed on the radio even through when everybody else was getting kicked off in favor of like really heavy bands, collective stole souls figured out a way to like keep writing the just heavy enough singles to stay on the radio. There's a famous interview with
1: Ed from around the time of dosage, which was right after this record. And Atlantic essentially told him we want a heavy single. They said, don't give us another blame you know, don't give us, you know, whatever, give us a heavy single. So literally their first single is called heavy. And he wrote it. He gave it that title purposely for that reason. Cause they were trying to compete with rock radio of 1999. I mean, if you think about it, you know, and they were able to, that song was the number one song. I mean, rock. So. Yep. Which is amazing to see them do that. (laughs) against some of those bands that were on the radio at that time. You know, I, it pays to go to music school. It, it yeah. does. <laughs> he's like, really oh, that's what you want? Guy. Okay, I can do that. Yeah. He's a really intelligent songwriter. I mean, he really is. Yeah. And he's done so much. He's had so many side projects. And I don't—I haven't even heard all of his side projects. Um, but I know that he has a wealth of material, not just under Collective Soul, but under uh, other iterations as well. So Sweet Tea Project, I think, is one
0: that
2: I always Ed hear Ed Rollin and the Sweet Tea Project. They yeah. have two albums out. Yeah. Um, so Jay, what doesn't work for you on this record?
0: Well, it definitely, uh, gets a little, I think less, the materials, um, a little less punchy, a little meandering towards on the second half. So after discipline breakdown, you know, forgiveness, it's, you know, chorus is a little soft rock generic sounding. I think link is a, is a bright spot. It's uh, a different voice, which I loved hearing because I also by this point in the record, I'm starting to get a little burned on his voice. Uh, he has a very, like you mentioned Tim, him, this almost like hushed whisper type of way of singing and, you know, eight tracks and you're like, okay, I need to hear another voice here. And um, so to hear him do the falsetto with that really interesting like melody behind it, it was, uh, I think worked really well, but then you fall back into stuff like giving, which is... I don't know, a little like, you know, not punchy in between, not great. I think crowded head is pretty cool. Um, we mentioned queen comparison there. I would probably just say Beatles. Like it has a kind of a rubber soul kind of feel to me. Um, and then, you know, it ends with everything, which is, is okay. It just sounds like a generic collective soul song. So, and I don't like full circle when <laughs> like the comments about that like yeah that, just,
1: that song just sucks um you, you hate you hated the horns, huh?
0: i i don't like the funky guitar i don't like the, yeah. the subsonic bass the bass sounds different on that the vocal is just kind of lost with all the when they get into these these funky modes like his voice to me doesn't work in those he needs that bed of like Lead guitar behind him. And he's on, he's he also, more on the
2: backbeat on that song as opposed to leading the song. Yeah, vocally, he needs
0: space. Like he needs the riff, and then he when he when he has the riff, and then he sings off the riff. That works. But when there's a lot of stuff bouncing around and it's they start to get in a funky territory, it just doesn't work for me. Um, but that said, the first half of the record's really strong, and then the second half gets a little spotty. Um, and it's mostly just I think material is you know it's hard to write. 12 songs as strong as listen
2: yeah uh, i don't need him leading the parade mardi gras i need him to write me a, a tasty <laughs> lick and and play it over three and a half four minutes Yeah. Oh um, so i i agree like full circle i was like if you're gonna do this commit to it yeah and like just do a horn song like don't even have like a big rock song then yeah like like get a brass band and do something cool with it but just throwing in like these horn stabs here and there just it's not it doesn't work
0: and it's such an abrupt like the first three songs on the record are so strong and then that yeah. that song starts and it is just total red brake lights
1: <laughs> it's definitely the most experimental song on the record whatever they were going for i mean
2: i like it but i can see why some people wouldn't for sure I yeah get it. So people who are wondering, that's what that's where we came down on that one. Um, I do agree with you. I think some of the stuff on the back half, uh, giving and in between, um, lose me a little bit, forgiveness. I, yeah, forgiveness being five minutes long too, it, that song should be shorter. Yep. Everything is fine. Everything is like a dumb – I don't mean dumb and like it's stupid, but like – it's not a really like advanced song in terms of musically or songwriting. It's a perfectly fine song, um, but it would be the nice closer on, you know, uh, a forty-minute record. Whereas once once you're at forty-six minutes and you're past the uh, the vinyl end of the record, um, then it starts to feel a little long. If this was like, I feel like if this was at ten songs and that was your last song, cool but at 12 songs, it's like just dragging a little bit too long. And that's not a good enough song yeah. to take me to 12. Yeah. Unless you're going to get the hidden track.
1: I think forgiveness is better than everything for sure. As far as their actual closer, everything is one of the songs that are kind of at the bottom of my list. So.
2: Cause it's kind of jaunty and like, mm-hmm. yeah, but, then, but then, it's like, you know, it's, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I sing it like <laughs> Dylan would sing it. Oh. <laughs> Uh, if you're wondering how bob dylan would sing a uh, collect the soul song that's that's how it would sound yeah i
1: mean for me i mean i love crowded head so much that when that song ends sometimes i just turn the record off i mean i do like everything and i'll sometimes let it play but for the most part crowded head is kind of where the record ends for me i just i love that song so much so
0: yeah and it even so has yeah. that kind of big loud riffy ending to be a good mm-hmm. place to just let the record end there. yeah
2: it should have yeah i agree well, we don't need to talk. I mean, the song or this this album and these singles did really well, so we don't need to talk about <laughs> why it did not do better because it, it actually did incredibly well. Um, it even scored a four out of five rating on all music.
0: Oh, my gosh. I oh, would have wow.
2: never have guessed that. I would have guessed it would have been two and a two-and-a-half star rating based on the usual coolness factor that is oh. going on at, at all music for, by some of the writers. But, no, it scored a four out of five. Basically, they said in the, the review, which I read, uh, was like, you know, it's so slick and entertaining, you can't like deny it. <laughs> like, okay, oh, okay. <laughs> which is again when you it's literally it says slickly entertaining. Okay, all right, well, yeah, uh, well, they were that's an under the- they were definitely a very entertaining
1: live band, that's for sure. Uh, around this time, uh, that's I mean, they were great live.
2: So, so let's give our uh, let's give our ratings on this record worthy the album, better EP and decent single. We'll, we'll share the ones from, from uh Patreon. But Jay, where do you land?
0: I land at a worthy album. I was surprised that, uh, uh, this was as strong as it is. And it, I think it holds, holds up pretty well. Um, his voice to me, it might be just a personal thing. I just so associated with the nineties. Um, so that is really probably the thing that you know makes it hard to say it's timeless. But I think there's some great uh, songwriting in here, and some great performances. Um, I think even those slow parts of the record, I think the material is strong enough that um, you know they're not they're they're fine album tracks. Um, so, and I think it holds together overall. You know, at 46 min, minutes is a pretty strong record. So, I'm um, in a worthy album.
2: I am too. I'd probably cut it to 10 or nine, but I think it's a worthy record, which I I surprised myself by yep. reaching that conclusion because I thought going in, this was going to be an EP for me.
0: You thought this was going to be live throwing copper all over again.
2: I did. I thought this was what I was expecting.
0: I'm not going to lie. I kind of went into it too. I was like, oh boy, is this going to be another live episode? You guys were rough on that uh, on that record. <laughs> Jeez.
2: But I think, you know, Ed Rollins makes the smart decision to uh keep the songs tight not go in any lyrical directions all the lyrics are are well within the reasonable bounds of 90s lyrics for the radio there's nothing weird that sticks out um he's not trying to put on like weird voices and characters um it just it it's unify i mean it has its its sound that, and he knows what this sound is. I mean, he he knew it from the first record, really, um, that yep. he made, and then he knew it going into the second one. And he's got his thing. And um, you know, I don't need this band to write an epic. I don't need Stairway to Heaven from this band. I just want some really cool riffs and great hooks. Yeah. And and that's what they do, just like from Def Leppard. I don't. Def Leppard's never going to write Stairway to Heaven. Just give me some more. Uh, pour some sugar on me, and we're we're good. Um. I'm gonna write. I'm gonna write a book called "From Def Leppard to Collective Soul: Perfectly Fine Radio Singles." Yeah, that's. That well, sounds like a
1: fascinating read. <laughs> I will give Collective Soul this, though. They're they're one of those bands that had so many great songs on the radio back in the day that they'll never have to worry about being an opener on the Summerland tour. They're always going to be headlining oh, okay. their own shows. You there know? you go. Because they have that power. Even in 2021, they have that power where they can do that.
2: Well, they also have a regionality now because they are, like, they play with... Uh, they have really large crowds in Atlanta in the same way than when we talked about um, a couple of weeks ago with Widespread Panic. Um, widespread Panic has huge regionality in terms of their crowd size. And... Um, I've watched, uh, they did like a, did not they play with like an orchestra, um, and recorded a DVD uh, a couple years ago or not, probably a couple years, probably 10 or 15 years ago, um, that they released. And they played- talked about collective soul or widespread panic, collective
1: soul. Yeah, they did. I was about to say, I'm not a panic fan, so I couldn't tell you, but they did. They, they recorded with the, uh, Atlanta youth symphony, I believe. Yeah. It was a bunch of, it was,
2: they released it on DVD and, and CD. I remember, I think that was on when, um, when HGTV started and they were looking for programming, and they had the Music Channel, oh, I'm pretty yeah. sure that they HD played that Net. on there. Yeah, HDNet.
1: Net. Yeah, I remember watching that a lot.
2: Yeah, uh, and they there would be all sorts of weird concerts. So I'm like, I didn't know they existed, and <laughs> that was one of them that I saw on there. So, Dewey, this is clearly a, this is a worthy album for you. It's not not a yeah, surprise. Yeah, I, I
1: just uh, the reason why I wanted to pick this record is because I want people to see the dig me out update and I want them to see collective soul. Oh, you know, that was, you know, that was a singles band. Who's going to listen to their records. And I, I, that's a lot of people. I talked to a lot of people that never listen to their albums. They just know the hits mm-hmm. and I love their second, third and fourth record. i love those records to death and I can't recommend them enough. And I would love it if people were to actually dig into them and listen to them at blender eh, not so much their fifth record. That was kind of, I think released a little bit too quick um but two three and four are just great all the way through and yeah i just i really want people to give give these albums a chance and get past the singles and honestly the singles are enough to keep i mean once you're once you're into it the first two songs have got you hooked already and then blame is track five and then it's just it's an easy listen from there and it's it's really hooky um it sounds sounds good to me uh, the, like i said the, the backing vocals sound beautiful on this record ed did a great job i know you mentioned the layering of the vocals are doubled on the chorus at least with some of these songs Um, and performance is just given, given the stature of the band at the time, I think it's a triumph considering what they're able to come out with, with no money um, doing this themselves. And then they come out of that lawsuit, get a new manager and go out and tour. I mean, yeah. Great. I can't, I mean, for them to be able to do that is nothing short of phenomenal considering some bands would just, just go home and sulk and not do shit for a year. You know, that's right. Honest to God, what happened during COVID some bands are like that, you know, so, well,
2: yeah, this did make me curious to check out Dosage because I think I only know the single from that record. So I do. I, I am, was
1: really close to picking that. It was kind of a one or the other, and I went with this one. But Dosage is great too. A lot of different sounds on that
2: because I'm pretty familiar with the second record from how much that got played, and I know some of the album tracks from that as well. So yeah, I think I at some point I'd like to I'd give that one a listen perhaps between, uh, reviewing albums for the box this week. I'll, uh, I'll throw on dosage and, and see what that sounds like. Uh, now our, our folks at, uh, Patreon, they were not as, uh, as, um, kind as, uh, Jay and I were, they went 25% worthy album, 58% better EP and 17% decent single Ouch. on this record. So we have some, some people tell them to go to all
1: music and shut the hell up.
2: Yeah. All music knows what's up.
1: (laughs) Screw Patreon. (laughs) I'm just kidding. I love everybody in Patreon and everybody has their own opinion, but you know, come on, this is not, this is not a single or an EP.
2: Give me a break. Well, the, the, the single people, clearly they had some emotional issues. They were working through with this record. Clearly, clearly Uh, they need to seek help, but I can, I can, you know ep album that's the difference of maybe one or two songs so i I can understand that i mean i'm in eight or nine song or nine or ten song whatever it was
1: i mean i love the album too and i i agree with you guys that there are a couple songs here that could have been left off to make it an even stronger record um so i i do agree there i think everything could have been left off um I'm trying to remember which one, if it's giving or in between, that has the call and response vocals that I that kind of just don't really do much for me. I don't remember which one it is, but one of those two songs can go. And honestly, it, it would be a stronger record um, if that were the case. Yeah. For me. Um, I know Jay would take off full circle, but I like that song.
2: <laughs> oh, no, it's oh. gone on mine, too. That's, yeah. that's the first you don't, one. You don't it's not even full circle either? it it, it, it when, when we were uh when i had all the songs lined up and i was looking at them and they were looking back at me full circle just got up and left it knew it <laughs> knew that it, it was it was going to be fired you didn't oh have to God. say anything i didn't have to say anything <laughs> it just said it just got up and said i'll i'll see myself out
1: well there's no horns on dosage so maybe they learned you know they're like we're not gonna we're not gonna do this not again, gonna, so.
2: they realized their mistake and they they said no more horns yeah. We're, we're we're not uh, Parliament Funkadelic. We don't. Need but to, they do uh,
1: they do play with like loops and different sounds on dosage. That I'm totally a, cool with
2: soo- loops. Yeah, loops are fun. Yeah. Uh, well, I, we're. I'm glad you previewed your pick for 2022. We're looking forward to Slang by Def Leppard. Oh God. Uh, yeah. We're locking that in. <laughs> Have you heard that record, Jay?
0: No, but I want a good excuse to listen to it. Uh, well, maybe
1: I'll, I want maybe pe- I'll I, I want, want
0: more way. people to pick. Uh, yeah, some of the some of the pop metal and hair be- metal bands from the, the 80s that made nineties records I, I love more of those
1: I love meeting people older than me especially people around 50 or 55 because they were of the age of the 80s metal and then I became an, I, I became a fan of those bands in the 90s Yep. so I listened to those records as they came out because I was just a new fan at the time and they they kind of just trash them yep as it's not the sound of the band like for instance the 94 Motley Crue album a lot of people never never understood. And I know you guys reviewed that years ago. Yep. But that's one of my favorite albums of all time, just yep. because I was so into it at that time, you know, and uh, just the way it is with my, how old I am with some of those bands, you know. And I, actually, you're a KISS fan. So let's talk about yep. KISS. Uh, what is it? Carnival of Souls? Yep. love that record people don't even don't even mention that album anymore it's just like people Kiss doesn't mention that album. <laughs> they don't they don't you know they call um, it the, f- the final an- sessions revenge is another great record in the 90s that they, they put out that are kind of forgotten about so
2: unholy is one of the best kiss songs of all time
1: it is i love that song there's some great stuff in the 90s from
2: <laughs> 80s metal bands that are domino of- not so much
1: Mm-mm. yeah well i i still like domino but maybe it's because of the Unplug performance and i just got really used to it at that time but
2: well that's well, the better
0: we're version. spoiling the episode yeah. where dewey's gonna pick revenge and we're gonna review that <laughs> well you oh guys did God. a kiss episode a while ago. you already revenge. did a kiss <laughs> in the 90s that, that doesn't mean yeah. we, don't, we don't that doesn't mean we can't go deep on one of the records
1: yeah you okay. did do kiss in the 90s that was a good one i remember listening to that one that was a really good one
2: uh well dewey thanks again for a great pick i'm i'm glad we got to this because going through the 90s Collective Soul were such an important part of it in terms of their presence on radio and, and sales and and touring. So I, this is an important discussion to have with regards to the overall picture of, of how the 90s played out.
1: Did you guys so, ever have any... Um, I don't think Collective Soul's ever been on.
2: You've never discussed them, right? I don't know. I mean, maybe in c- talking about in comparison to other bands, but I mean, they're fairly unique in a lot of yeah, ways. I don't
0: think they've come out much. So, yeah, it, which is kind of strange given how, how in the forefront they were at that time. There are so many bands that were in the forefront that we don't, we haven't talked about yet. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind yeah. of crazy. Like, right. Yeah. That's true. That's There's very so true. So many
2: bands to cover. When we hit episode 1000, then we can maybe just start discussing which bands were really shocked we haven't gotten to because, <laughs> uh, I'm guessing there will be some big ones still. We sometimes haven't talked reviews. about Pearl Jam.
1: Yeah, sometimes reviews will pop up, and I'll be completely surprised that you're talking about it. Mainly because of, like, for instance, Tools' Anima or Nirvana's In Utero, or you know, I, I think you did Nevermind for like a.
2: That was the five round
1: table or something.
2: Yep. Yeah, we had we had like thirteen people on that episode. That was
1: more of a party.
0: yeah
2: i remember that That
1: those are kind of fun though like i I know the premise of the show is lesser known records but those episodes are fun to to listen to yeah especially because especially because some of those albums i haven't listened to in years because they were so overplayed at the time you know
0: right and i I haven't i don't listen to radio much anymore but i would imagine most of these bands even the ones that were big at the time are blips on the radar when it comes to pop music right now so
1: it's sort yeah, of at this true. point; it's
0: it's all pretty much obscure.
1: Yeah, and I've always and I've always been scared to pick another Our Lady Peace record because I listened to you review Navid years ago, and you guys both loved Navid. But I would be scared to bring on. I mean, say if I want to talk about happiness is, is not a fish you can catch. I'm scared what you guys might say because I love that record, um, but it sounds like you're kind of against everything
2: after Navid. I think you know? that well, no.
0: I'm not. Uh, I'm not gonna show
2: my hands. Yeah, I think <laughs> I think One Man Army has one of the best guitar solos. Yeah, of oh, like all. T- I love that guitar solo in that song. Uh, I will
0: say I was a pretty heavy Our Lady Peace fan until about the Gravity. early two thousands. So when Mike left, was that his name, Mike, the guitarist? Mike Turner. Mike Turner. Yeah, he was the guy that
2: he was
1: a lot of their. Or side. was it?
2: Uh, and the wasn't the the drummer Jeremy Taggart? Did he leave too? He stayed with them for
1: a long time.
2: I think he only left recently
1: like oh, okay. in the past five or six years. But um, yeah, Mike Turner, he was, he was responsible for all those riffs and that guitar sound in that band. So they definitely did change when Gravity came out. As much as I like Gravity, it's a different band at that time.
2: Yeah, that's when they lost me.
1: Yeah, I get it. But, <laughs> but uh, what was that record that came out in 01? Uh, Spiritual Machines?
0: Yeah, that's,
1: that's, that's a great one I still go back to.
0: That's the last time I. That's the probably the latest record I listened to, and the last time I saw them live. Oh wow, that, that was tour. twenty years ago. Yeah. Yeah,
1: but that that's another band I've thought about bringing up, but I don't know. But they were all over the place, at least in the Midwest in the nineties. Oh yeah, you miss them because the Canada connections. They were.
2: They made. They played Columbus up. a bunch of times.
1: Yeah, they were. I lived in Toledo at the time, and they would play Toledo every other year, it seemed, or Detroit. I mean, they were there. All the time. so
2: I saw them on that. the uh, on the Navid tour with Candlebox and Sponge. Was that at FF. the Toledo Sports Arena? Toledo Sports Arena.
1: Yeah, I remember that show. I didn't go, but I do remember that show.
2: Yeah. Jay, did you go to that
0: with, with me I and Keith? S- I don't think so. I think I saw him on the Clumsy tour. When I uh, saw him, the, I remember that it was the – I learned that um, – Oh, they got it uh blanking, the guy that drowned. Jeff Jeff, Jeff Buckley. Uh, Jeff Dennis, Buckley. Dennis Wilson. Jeff, no. <laughs> Jeff Buckley. Uh You saw them a, at the
2: Asylum announced it on stage that he had died. Yeah. Oh, that was man. the Asylum show, which was a couple years later. Yep. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah, I saw them on that tour
1: in Detroit at the what was the name? It was no, I'm sorry, it was in Pontiac at the uh Clutch Cargos. You guys ever see a show there?
2: Yeah, yep. that's where uh, we saw Catherine Wheel. There, no, not Catherine Wheel. Like Sunny Real Estate. Yeah, it was like uh, an old church. Yes,
0: that was a super cool venue.
2: I yes. liked it a lot. Yeah, I we we were in the upstairs when we saw that when we watched that show. Yeah,
0: but anyway,
1: ironically enough, to t- tie this together, let's I tie saw, it together. Yeah, we I got saw, to find a through line I saw line our here. Lady Peace play with Collective Soul a few years ago, and it was cool seeing Rain and Ed on stage together. I'm like, hey, because I actually finished. At the end of the collective soul set, they brought everybody out and rain was up there with that. I'm like, oh, this is this is like something that me in the nineties was you know would have cherished, you know, mm. seeing that. So yep. it was cool. Very cool. Cool seeing that. Well, thanks for coming back, Dewey. No problem. I will come back every year and think of one that I really want people to listen to and give a shot. And Excellent. I think this record is deserving of
2: that. So got three hundred and sixty four days to think about it. Yes. Roughly. Def Leopard slang give here, take. We, here we go. There you go. Uh I want to mention for the folks listening that uh, if you would like to suggest an album you can go to digmeoutpodcast.com go to the suggest an album page link whatever it is I guess it's a it's a it's a thing there and uh, you just pop it in and every month we pick nine albums for our patrons to vote on so you got to be a patron over at patreon to vote on the album which also gives you access to Our 80s episodes, our uh, roundtable voting, depending on what tier you're on. You vote on 80s episodes, you get to read the box newsletter, which you sign up for at digmeoutpodcast.com. It arrives in your email inbox every weekend. Two new reviews of 80s and 90s releases relevant to this podcast, Uh, books, movies, and music. And then also, if you like what you heard, please consider leaving us some positive feedback bo- over at uh, the Apple Podcasts uh, site, which uh, someone did recently. Someone had some nice words to say about us, yes. and we uh, appreciate that.
0: Definitely. Nice review. Thank you.
2: And uh, we're closing in. We're, we're reaching the top of the charts in Belgium, just like uh, <laughs> just like we knew we would.
0: Look at how Sheila Divine we're coming after you in Belgium. Yeah,
2: exactly. We're going to we're going to take that uh, top spot from Sheila Divine being the most popular popular culture imported <laughs> from the United States. Uh, so for Jay, I'm Tim, we're out and we'll be back next week with another episode. Of Dig me out.
1: When the let you bite.